This is a HeadGum Podcast. Everybody and welcome to We'll See You in Hell, now proudly hosted on the HeadGum Network. What it is, folks, is a uh, loose, conversational, often heated, accusatory podcast between <laughs> two dear friends, myself, Patrick Walsh, and over here to my right, Mr. Joe DeRosa. Say hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. Oh, that's a, starting real strong. <laughs> And uh, we talk about generally uh, a horror or sci-fi movie each week, and it veers off into all kinds of different tangents and also segments that we still don't quite understand (laughs) what the rules of them are, even though we created them. Yes. So now, without further ado, on with the show and on with the Joe! (laughs) How are you, Walsh? I'm good. I threw in kind of a, a, a disbelieving chuckle into that one. Like, can you believe I'm doing this? That was. That was yeah. a very, uh, it was almost a Gargamelish delivery yeah. of uh, of the On With The Joe. I enjoyed it, though, very much. He's a big influence of mine, Gargamel. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was uh, about to say to Joe, then I said, you know what? Hit record and let's let's talk about it on the podcast. I'm, I'm not going to get deep into this, folks, but Joe and I had... The, the, oh, not not just tonight, but also earlier in the week, a couple humdingers of fights, and these were not funny fights. Um, this is, in fact, if I may say, the second take of this episode, because Joe and I really went at it, and we're not going to get into specifics, because that may have been what led to the problem last time, but boy, do the two of us go at it. What I was going to say to Joe is that I think... Much in the same way that if you've ever been out with a couple that hates each other, and I have many, many, many times. Right. You know it's a... I recently read that you know you're in a good relationship if your partner compliments you in public and to other people. And yes. I was like, that makes sense. And I was thinking about Heather, you know, that's her to a T, and so, you know, I do it as well. Well, you know, Heather's great at that. Heather does it, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the flip side of that, and I've been in and observed these relationships, is when... There's so little communication in the relationship that the second they go to dinner with another couple, they use it to criticize the other to the couple. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be like, oh, uh, that's so nice that Carol uh, makes your bed in the morning. I mean, I can't get Heather to lift a fucking finger around our house. I get dinner, and then it's usually with a couple drinks in the mix. (laughs) And then on the way home, then you're driving, and it's like, oh, so I heard you didn't like the way I uh, make the bed or whatever. It's a a way – it's a very – extremely passive aggressive way of getting out things and somehow when we clicked on the podcast today it brought out (laughs) a lot of like deep-seated uh little irritants and aggressions and they all just came tumbling out because it's a safe space we always fight in the podcast but today took a turn it took a dark turn it took a turn uh I will not get into it any any deeper than you did. We shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't. The the one the one detail that I think we can both laugh about right now is something I exclaimed at Pat uh, after we stopped recording and Pat was leaving, and I did I did exclaim the sentence to him, "You walk out that door." <laughs> 
you're you're making a statement about this show and our friendship. You're make if you walk out that door, you're making a statement about not just this show, but also this friendship. To which even in the heat of anger I almost laughed. But it was serious. It was a serious exclamation. But uh, my hat's off to my boy, Pat. My sweet boy, as uh, we often say. Uh, he texted me. He said, hey, man, Olive Branch. I said, Olive Branch, right back at you. He said, you want me to come back? We'll we'll do a J and we'll we'll do the show. And, and folks, we've done a J. We've smoked a, a bit of something that Pat brought over here. And I am... I am. I don't even know what's happening right now, to be honest with you. He said, be careful. It's strong. It's real strong. We'll be good. And, uh, you know, I recently watched a video that almost moved me to tears of a, of a gentleman, an old gentleman, middle-aged, who had extreme, I believe, Parkinson's, but like, you know, way beyond Michael J. Fox. And he was he could not control his body. And to me, that and any sort of mental disorder, nerve disorder, Alzheimer's, et cetera, is my biggest fear. I can't, I can't think about it or I go insane. Mm-hmm. And this man is sitting there and he cannot control like his arm is up over his head and you can just see in his face. He's like, kill me. I, I, I don't want to live like this. He takes one hit of a joint and his arm just kind of slowly comes down another puff. And then he's sitting there just like you or I really. And, you know, I, I, I went out and voted yesterday and I, I, L.A. had a lot of big things. Uh, I voted, of course. One of, one of the bills was, do we want to help the homeless? And you could vote yes or no. Really? And, like, it was kind of close, you know? <laughs> there were a yeah. lot of crazy things. But I also went to just vote to support fucking marijuana and the, the taxation and making money and the cities are all doing really well off it. But I was like, this is an important fucking issue. And it, it helps. I never got on antidepressants. I probably should. I've been told that by several people, including a licensed therapist. But... <laughs> For me, I'll tell you, I'm on them. I don't know that you need, you know, they can they can go in either direction. I'll be honest with you for me. And then I've been I've been dominating. and I'll turn it right over to you. The weed, um, if I am mad or angry, if uh, Heather and I get in a little tiff about something or whatever, because of the way I was raised, where my dad would walk 10 feet ahead of my family on vacations because he would get angry with us. Right. And then just not engage with us for the remainder of the vacation. Griswold style. It, oh, that, <laughs> you know, everybody says, oh, that guy's my dad just because your dad's a nerd and so is Clark Griswold. No, I, it's my dad because of the anger and the screaming right. and cussing at the family and <laughs> the barely contained rage and et cetera. <laughs> that's why that's one of my all-time favorite movies. Right. Now, for me... I could be that, and I recognize that in myself. I can't talk about things sometimes. And even though I apologize without the influence of drugs and we we patched it up, the weed just helps you get stop thinking about it. Because I'll be yeah. like, he said this. I'll, I'll drive myself insane. And it's a, it's a big mental help. It calms me down. There are times I get home from work and I'm so wound up, I'm just going off, not going off on uh, my girlfriend, but I'm yelling about my day and complaining. And... She'll want to make love, make sweet love. And I can't get my mind there because I'm still in the angry place. Right. So even though we're sitting on the couch, I'm going like, in my head. Sure. I'm cursing to myself. So then when she wants to get a little frisky, and who could blame her? I don't blame her. I can't get my mind there. I know if I go downstairs, I'm going to be like still in that other place. One puff, and it's worked, it's worked like a charm now since the day I first tried it. I'm there. I'm in the zone. I love it. It's a beautiful I, substance. I'd like to say that I'm glad that we have smoked it. I'd hate to think 
Our tiffs were anything to get between you and some lovemaking. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I can't think about anything that happened today. All I can do is try to convince myself my chair is not moving right now. <laughs> and I know it's not moving, but it feels like yeah. it's moving. It, I mean, it's good. It helps kind of just wipe away the shit sometimes. We, uh, we I absolutely agree. Uh, we, and it's legal now until Trump takes it away. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we are talking today. Uh, and we're not going to get into the movie just yet. We're we're, we're going to discuss Logan, everybody's new favorite uh, comic book movie. Um, but the only reason I bring up what we're discussing or what movie we're discussing already is because Pat and I saw this film last night in the theater together. Uh, and I, a rare, I, a kind of a rare occurrence. It is. I would like you because we did we did get this story out on the first take of this podcast, and it's a it, this was a nice story. It, it was funny then as well, but uh, yes, Joe, um, and I for whatever reason because we both love movies and we both live five minutes from a theater, don't go to a lot of movies together. We go to a ton of movies, just not always together. Um, and I think it's been split recently. And then uh, s- s- maybe the last one was Spy, which was over a year ago. So, yes, which is kind of yeah. without making a lot of fanfare, a bit of a special occasion. Yeah. So we go up to see Logan and I'm sitting there and I realize about five minutes in. I don't know if I can go to any more movies with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there and he's heavily sighing almost from the word go <laughs> like a. <sighs> Uh, he's crossing and uncrossing his legs like there's no tomorrow. Uh, tell him what you ordered f- first, Joe. Tell him what you ordered. We got to the... Pat was nice enough to buy the tickets. Thank you for that. I, I, I owe you. Of course. You. We don't. Uh, you know, I, I, but uh, next one's on me in nine months. Yes, that sounds good. Whenever we go to see the next movie. But... Uh, we uh so we, Joe, you entered in a bad place which might have led you to that concession stand we were i was in a well yeah we we got in i pat had paid for the tickets i said can i treat you to something at the concession stand uh pat said no i don't want anything and he said are you going to get anything and i said yeah and he said what and i said i'm going to go real real hard at this right now i'm not in a good <laughs> spot right now yeah uh i was not in a good way yesterday so i uh, i ordered a uh popcorn uh, a cherry coke and a bag of peanut M and M's that uh, had the words share size on it. <laughs> That's <And> they... beyond king. <laughs> That's like the king's like you know. I, let's put some of this away for tomorrow. I'm done. <laughs> but you're eating beyond the king's share now. <laughs> and he did not share, folks. I didn't get. I didn't get peanut M and M one. Now tell me, because uh, we talked about this earlier, the butter. What happened with the butter? Because I, re- I sort of remember, but you described it better. Well, Joe and I were having a conversation like you do in line, and then the, the guy behind the counter is like, uh, sir, what can I get you? And Joe's like, yeah, this, this, uh, and a popcorn. And Joe turns to talk to me, so he's got his back to the popcorn guy, and the guy goes, uh, sir, do you want butter? And Joe, without looking back over his shoulder at the man, goes, yeah, a lot of butter. <laughs> And, and I they, you, I hope you got it. I hope it was a buttery bag. They did. They soaked it up. Uh, we sat down in the in the uh, in the row there to watch the movie. Uh, I dumped the entire sharing size bag of peanut M and M's into the popcorn, <laughs> thinking they would blend. Because I've heard of you know I saw them like Whiplash. Paul Reiser mixes the raisinettes with it, with the popcorn. It seems delicious. Was it delicious? 
It was delicious. I but like those, salty and a sweet. It was a perfect combination of salty and sweet. You, 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 had, you had salty, buttery popcorn meeting the chocolate in the M&M, meeting the peanut, which also was salty. It was wonderful. But those candy-coated shells... I mean, you get butter on them. It, it felt like it felt like used anal beads in the bag. There, it was wow. disgusting. You really paint a picture. <laughs> it was it was real nasty. Yeah, but it was delicious. I mean, and yeah, this much is... like used anal beads. It was delicious. <laughs> Look, who, who amongst us hasn't pulled out a string and then maybe you clean it up before you put it back in the drawer? <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> You're not rock. You're not rock. <laughs> Folks, I've never done that. My favorite... Uh, I might have a string in right now. One of my favorite David Tell jokes of all time ever wow. is uh, when he goes, uh, when he goes, why do anal beads come in so many different colors when they always come out brown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great bit. I'll, my mom will love that one. The uh, But this is how bad of a spot I was in last night, Walsh. I, I, I had so much shit stuffed into this bag yeah and i and then i also the extra butter that i asked for i was like there's no way this bag can hold this mess and i didn't care i'm usually very ocd about spots on my shirt i get up i'll scrub at something in a bathroom in a restaurant if i yeah. spill it forever i i just didn't care i i said let me <laughs> let me wear my mess like the, like a scarlet letter <laughs> yeah and uh and i I got home and sure enough, just stains all over my clothes. Didn't didn't treat it. Just threw it in the wash. Didn't, yeah. didn't give a shit at all. I mean, uh, Joe came walking up. He was like, "I'm parking down at the Del Taco, which is probably a half mile away." <laughs> it comes up just looking like just a man who had just been beaten to shit by life, waiting in the Whew. crosswalk. Whew. But how's uh, he day yesterday? I mean, he's he's sighing the leg crossing. Um, and it's called the Vista Theater here in Los Feliz. It's a beautiful old-timey theater, and you couldn't find more leg room at a theater. Like, it's it's a big stretch-out place. The one issue yeah. is that the seats, while comfortable, are all adjoined to each other. So when there's movement, you feel it. So, especially sitting next to him, Joe is rocking in his chair and leaning forward and leaning back and sighing. Then at one point, he starts bouncing his foot really furiously, and it, it couldn't have been more than a minute or two, but it was driving me insane. <laughs> And as I'm about to say something to him, the woman next to him leans over and is like, would you stop doing that? And then afterwards, Joe's like, could you believe that bitch next to me? And I was like, yeah, she was right. She was absolutely right. And then, folks, where it really hit its pinnacle and something I've never heard in a movie theater before, certainly not from someone I'm sitting with. At about the two hour mark, Joe goes. Like a, a baby blowing raspberries. Yeah. Like an old man who's just like had enough. <laughs> and I'm try I was into the fucking movie. I was enjoying it. But it, it's like when somebody is hating something so visibly and audibly next to you, there's like a heat that was coming off of Joe. And it didn't ruin my enjoyment, but I was like, we're going to have a good conversation about this because I really liked it. And, you know, spoiler alert, Joe did not. <laughs> But we'll get to that soon. I uh, Logan, and, and, and we will get to that soon, Logan is one of the few movies that I have actually taken notes and put them into my phone. Oh, okay. When All I was right. driving home from the theater last night, I had so many thoughts racing through my head that I was like, I have to put notes down because if I don't put notes down, I'm going to sound like I'm just being a hater yeah. on the movie. I'm not being a hater. Like, I have legitimate 
gripes. All right. But 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 we will get to it. There we'll was get to it. You told now I'm trying to I'm trying to um, uh, recapture some of the magic of the last <laughs> take before it exploded. The tragic. The, there was you told a story about a, a woman in a theater. Oh, that's right. Because I made a joke when I said uh, if you thought the row was shaking when I was shaking my leg. Did, did you feel what was happening when oh, yeah, uh, the yeah, lady yeah. next to us started getting finger banged? And you said, are you serious? I said, no. And then you told a story about... Uh, yes, I was asking, uh, you know, he, he said that lady had no right to complain. It seemed like she was getting finger banged next to me. And I said, are you serious? He was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, within the last year, because the film was Jason Bourne, so the, the latest Jason Bourne, right. I'm sitting in the back row with my buddy... And there was nobody in the back row. Then about halfway through, this young, and I mean young, like 18, 19, couple comes in, and the girl's wearing a full blanket, like a robe. Uh-huh. And we're like, this is weird. And they sit next to us, and then almost immediately we realize that she's getting fingered. Her head is tilted all the way back in orgasmic pleasure. And my Ooh. buddy hits me, and he's like, check this out. And he's like, ugh. And like switches his seat, which is a very different... Uh, stance and i would take i'm trying to watch what's happening sure so i'm looking down there and then uh sure enough once she gets hers she disappears under that blanket and she's down there sucking this kid off full bj in the back row of jason Bourne. a bj at jb jason Bourne. <laughs> uh I and just... then i i went back on a little reminiscent of um uh, a hand job i received on a, a double feature of a Midsummer Night's Dream. There's nothing better than it. Starring Kevin Klein and uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. There's nothing better than getting a hand job in a the theater, especially when it's to a bad double feature like yeah. that. Yeah. That makes it all worthwhile. It it's was great. Con- Except that about the same with like, uh, you know, Roadhead or something. There, there hits a point where you're like, well, now uh, I'm going to just come all over her arm here in a movie theater. It's, listen, I, and I don't mean to be crass. We, we're already there. I just realized what but, I just casually said. I'm, but, I'm sorry, uh, folks. I will say this, and it's always been my complaint about Uber culture. L.A. is Uber culture. New York is yellow cab culture. Sure. Still? Well, or at least there was about a year ago, this was the difference. And that was the right. big difference when I moved out here. There, It wasn't a yellow cab culture. It was an Uber culture. And Uber's great, and it's convenient, and uh, Lyft is convenient and great, and they're affordable and all that stuff. But my one gripe, can't get a good fingering going on in the back of an Uber. <laughs> That's very true. I've always said the back of a yellow cab is like international waters. I mean, anything goes back there. You're getting hand jobs. There's fingerings. There's BJs. There's there's cunnilings. There's all kinds of shit happening in those back seats. I mean, I've seen taxi cab confessions. I think right? you could. You probably could do it in a Lyft. If I were a Lyft and Uber driver, I would be patiently waiting for somebody to get blown in the back of my cab. Well, the just, difference with it is your car, though. I guess. That's what I was going to say. The, 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 he's, the, the Lyft's guy got to put his groceries there tomorrow. Yeah. Whereas the other, the yellow cab guy just goes back like De Niro. Uh, right. I have the hose to come off the seats at right. night or whatever. Right. Um, I tweeted about this the other day, and it was no joke. I was in, a, in an Uber to an Oscar party, and I'm sitting in the back seat with a car seat with something in it, which I already felt kind of like. You don't bring your baby or whatever it is in a cab. It's weird. Yeah, that's and, odd. And then put it in the back seat with the potentially creepy, pervy passenger. You know, every, it seemed very fucked up. But I get in, and this thing is covered tightly with towels and blankets. Like, there's no air getting in. And what was coming from it was not a human baby sleeping. 
it was like a like a snorty sort of phlegmy weird sound coming from it and as he's about to drop me off i was like i can't get out of this cab and not ask because then i could convince myself maybe it was a chihuahua or something right so i go hey man i, I gotta ask you is this a, a baby or a pet back here asleep right. and he looked up looked me in the eye in the rearview mirror and then did not answer my question well that's 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 Walsh, I'm going to be honest with you. That's the worst ending to the story that it could have been. I know. I'm I'm nervous now. I, I was picturing like the eraser head baby. Like yeah, a, I'm, a, a, I'm a, a, almost like a, a worm type baby. It's an unsettling story. I hated it. But like, what a great start to like a new David Lynch. <laughs> I mean, it, it freaked yeah. me out. I, w- I went to this Oscar party for 30 minutes. They were like, hey, you all right, man? I was like, yeah, just a little. Shaking up about my my cab ride over here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Uh, 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 was Robert Blake? I just keep picturing Robert Blake as the cab driver. <laughs> yeah, he's he, well. It wasn't him driving it, but then his eyes did appear in the rearview mirror. Let's talk about him for a second and David Lynch in the film uh, Lost Highway. Watched twenty minutes of it last night. Then I realized I wouldn't be able to sleep, so I turned <laughs> it off. I, I I don't understand how a man David Lynch makes another man Robert Blake. Looks so terrifying. I mean, this is Beretta for Christ's sakes. I know. There's that scene at the end where he's walking towards the guy with the gun. It's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. And you're sitting there going, "It's just Robert Blake. Why am I so scared?" <laughs> yeah. But something about white powder on his face, and it, it, God damn, it's fucking freaky. I I love that movie, but Lynch has has a way with that that like, if only if only every horror movie had one tenth of like the dread that he can put into like a scene of just like going to the store. Yes, but that scene and we we might have discussed this on here years ago or a couple years ago was uh, at the Winkies Diner in it's, Mulholland Drive when they go out and that just a homeless man I guess comes out from behind that dumpster. To this day, like talking about it now, I just felt my heart kind of skip a beat because that scared me so fucking much. It is my all-time number one scariest thing i've ever seen ever in a movie yeah. nothing will ever top it as far as i know i agree and it, if you really look at it on the surface it is a stupidly dressed almost like in a bad play homeless man yeah stepping out from behind a dumpster in broad daylight and even if you saw it five feet from you you'd be like oh excuse me sir but something about lynch and the sound and everything is uh it's it's terrifying. Mulholland Drive is one of my favorite movies ever made. The Bill, I, I love Mulholland Drive. <clears throat> it's in my uh, it's in my top Lynch films without question. And number uh, one for me. It's uh, it might. Yeah, I, you know what? I think you're right. I think it is my number one Lynch. Blue film. Blue Velvet is killer, but like it doesn't stay with you. And like, you know, sometimes when I don't get a movie, I'm like, eh, I guess I'm stupid. I go to bed <laughs> and I don't care. Mulholland Drive. I saw it and I was like, I need to figure this out, and I did. And I could talk about it for like three days. I think it's a great movie. Yeah. In fact, that and uh, Lost Highway are the only two Lynch movies I own. So, uh, oh, and I own Firewalk with me, which I like very much. Love Firewalk with me. But yeah, it's the buildup in that scene. He shoots it. Lars von Trier has an ability to do the same thing. Yeah. It, they just make this completely horrifying, suspenseful build out of almost nothing that the even the slightest payoff is is devastating you know and that that's what he does it's just the guy and you know it's funny like the guy that that is 
really responsible for that scene working so well is the guy telling the story about the dream, and he's just so terrified. Oh, yeah. And Patrick it's just Fischler or something. From yeah. Mad Men. I love that guy. I mean, you, you know, I remember seeing him in old school and being like, oh, that's the guy from Lost. I mean, uh, from uh, Mulholland Drive. Like, yeah. he can't possibly be normal. And it's like, no, he is. He's just a normal guy. He's just yeah. really good in that scene. No, I felt the same thing. He's just one of those roles where you're like, well, I can never see this guy again. It's like the molester in happiness, which we always talk about. I see him in like a, a Harrison Ford movie. I'm like. Harrison, this guy's going to molest you. I can't shake it. Well, I knew. Here's what saved him for me. Dylan Dylan Baker. Yeah. I knew Dylan Baker first and foremost from the film Delirious with John Candy. (laughs) Of course. Where he's he's exposed to the toxic waste and he's falling apart through the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, And he's really funny in that. So he'll always be that guy to me first, thankfully. strange movie, Delirious. I really like it, but it's not good. Yeah. You know. I'd have to rewatch it. I recently rewatched Summer Rental. It's terrible. Well, I, f- I loved it so much as a kid. I, I yeah. mean, John Candy was all that mattered to me when I was a kid. And there is some funny stuff in it, most notably when he realizes he's in the black family's cabin. Yes. So when he comes down with that, like, 200-pound bag of dog kibble, right. and then it, <laughs> as he's about to leave with it, it breaks all over the floor. Then he slips in it and seems to genuinely fall. And then the dog starts eating the kibble and they cut to the family staring at him and like his kind of fumbling explanation for it. What what Candy did in almost all those movies, your Uncle Buck, your Planes, Trains, etc., is if you really think about it, The Office years later, that kind of and it's become the dominant thing of like single camera comedy is that stuttering like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, you know, right. like over explaining and right. That was him to a T. Like that scene was really funny, but the end of the movie is a twenty-five minute boat race with it's, no jokes. Yeah, I know it's not. It's not a good movie. I, I looked it up. I watched it recently. I th- you know last summer or whatever. Yeah. Because I was nostalgic about it. I thought it's the summertime. It'll be fun to watch summer rental. Put it on. I was like. God damn, I don't think this is a good movie. Yeah. And then I looked it up and it had like a 32% right. on Rotten Tomatoes from the from the uh from the retro reviews they pulled up or whatever and I was like, "Oh, I guess maybe it's a I do enjoy the scene that you talked about. I also enjoy when he takes the two eggs and he on his, on his drive to work and the first one's hard yeah. boiled and then he breaks yeah. the second one and it's raw and he's like, "It's my fault. It's my fault. Should have yeah. said hard boiled. I didn't say it. I just said <laughs> two eggs." You know, that that part's funny. And let me tell you, especially knowing 80s scripts, here's what that said in the script. He cracks one egg. It's uh it's a hard boiled egg. He cracks the second egg. It puts the yolk on him. Like I think back in those days they were like, "John, why don't you take this next scene?" Like he seems to be making up all of his dialogue and almost everything. Uh, look, one of my favorite John Candy jokes ever is in a movie we've discussed many times. Who's Harry Crumb? Sure. Uh, and it's, there's nothing funny about it at all on paper at all. And I, I don't even know if it was on the paper because it's so odd, but he's on the bus. He's got a bag of cherries and a diet Coke. Yeah. I remember it well. So odd that he's eating this as his snack. <laughs> yeah, and then he offers the lady a cherry and then a sip of Coke, and he goes, make some gallery, you got a cherry Coke. <laughs> and he yeah. starts cackling like a yeah. lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a guy who was like, this script is terrible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it funny. You know, that was... Uh, Ker- I th- Karen Kilgariff uh, hates ho- it. Ho- much, like I, much like I hold Tower Heist over your head. Yes. 
she anytime I say anytime we disagree on a movie, she's like, well, you did like who's Harry Crumb. So. I, I don't understand how anybody doesn't like that film. It's hilarious. You know, that was supposed I might have said this before in this pod. If I did, forgive me. But uh, that was supposed to be like a big series that was supposed to be like an Austin Powers. I sure wish it had been series. Yeah. You know, where yeah. he was solving crimes in every movie or whatever. It's a damn but, shame. Uh, I loved Armed and Dangerous as a kid. Eugene Levy, baby. When that part where like they dress up like like the leather when yeah. Eugene Levy dressed up like the leather guy yeah. and then John Candy gets in the drag. I mean, I, that used to fucking yeah. devastate me. I recently bought it for like two bucks and can't wait to watch it. It's Harold Ramis and Levy and Meg Ryan and Candy. I'm sure it's got some laughs in it. Yeah. And the guy from uh, Dune is in it. The guy that plays Meg Ryan's dad is the guy in the David Lynch Dune that yeah. plays the guy with the, the pustules all over oh, his face. Yeah. Boy, Dune would be my absolute least favorite David Lynch. <laughs> I hated it. That's not That couldn't be further than my thing, is Dune. One of the most insulting things I've ever seen is I was watching a behind-the-scenes on Dune re- recently on YouTube, and Harlan Ellison, the writer, who I'm a fan of, but he says stuff that's I you know hurtful, I would say, to people. Sure. They're interviewing him, and he goes, and he goes, he's raving about the cast. He's raving about the cast. And then he goes, Kyle MacLachlan, he was fine. He was competent. He did not have the chops that these other actors had. And then he starts going through all the, and he goes, he did a perfectly fine job, but he did not have the chops of, and he starts rattling off every actor. And then the last one, he goes, even Sting. How wonderful is Sting in this film? Sting's terrible in that film. And I was like, what a kick in the goddamn yeah. teeth to somebody. That I bet is. McLaughlin never got over that. <laughs> McLaughlin's lucky he's had a fucking 30 year career, seeing that he's a middling talent at best. I uh, am a McLaughlin. I'm with Ellison. I'm a McLaughlin, <laughs> I'm a McLaughlin fit. For Twin Peaks alone, I'll, the guy will have me. He, he destroyed Twin Peaks. He was so fucking funny in that first yeah. season of Twin Peaks. I, yeah. I take it back. I love him in that, and of course, Blue Velvet. I take it back. Yeah, I'll take those eggs over hard. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but hard. Uh, yeah, hard. Die, old habits die hard. As hard as I want those yolks. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Uh, yes. I got really excited when they released that little teaser of like the first reveal of I him in the new one. Cannot wait. Yeah, that was cool. Um, uh, it's coming soon. When? I, I, when? Because I, they keep saying coming soon. I feel like the goddamn thing's been in production for three fucking years. I think it's coming this summer, actually. All right. Like maybe May even. It has literally been like three years. Since it was announced, yeah. But then he wanted more money, and he wanted to do 20, and he wanted this and that, and things got really held up. I remember one of the first meetings I ever, ever, ever had when I moved to L.A. was at Showtime. It was just okay. a general. And I remember in that meeting, the person I was meeting with tell me telling me about Twin Peaks is even better than we thought it was going to be. And she oh, didn't nice. give me details, obviously, yeah. but she was like, and I believe it was right around the time they were talking about how Lynch came back and all that stuff. So that's how fucking long it's been. Yeah. That she was talking to me in like the time where she's, he's back and it's going to be great. That was three fucking years ago. Yeah. I mean, so. I just hope it's like a new awesome case or something. I don't want to, I don't necessarily need more of Laura Palmer because I get it. You know, well, she's in it. So I think it's going to be more Laura Palmer. She's yeah. in the cast list like in, in both in, in both roles. Okay. Well, the cousin's still alive, right? Yeah, that's true. So I guess she's going to play the cousin, and right. All right. Who knows? I mean, I'm very intrigued. 
and it's got a cast of like 200 people. There's some weird names in that cast. Yeah, some very weird names. My buddy is in it. My buddy Jay Larson is in it. Yes. I yes. Saw that today. The uh, uh, he uh, he's in it, and uh, here's my one concern with this with the cast. And these shows do this, man, and True Detective did it, and I'm a fan of everybody that was in True Detective Season 2. I was not a fan of Season 2. Sure. But the, sh- the, the orgy at the, the mansion was a good episode. I didn't see that one. Uh, it was a later one. It was really good. It was a very McAdams-heavy episode. But they go... The, the first season does well, and it's a very bare-bones kind of thing, and it's stripped out. And then Season 2 comes, and they go, now we're going to add all these people. What scares me... Now, it worked for Wet Hot. They did a good job with that, and right. it all worked out. But what scares me a little bit about uh, the, the new Twin Peaks is there's like a hundred new people that are all famous that well, have been added to it. But what's cool to me is that they're like, it's not like George Clooney's dropping by Twin Peaks. You know, they're like weird names. It's not not A-listers. Right. And not, everyone I saw was like probably some weird friend of David Lynch. I'll tell you what I'm excited about. Robert Forster love, I fucking is love now Forster. playing... Uh, the sheriff, um, what's the sheriff's name? He's got a famous... Miguel Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer. Right? No, no, no. That guy died. He died. Sadly enough, but I think he shot his stuff before he died. Oh, okay. So, oh, he's playing the uh, the other guy who died. Who's the... Sh- no, no, no. Who's the sh- the main sheriff in the show that works with Kamagok? And then it's like a famous person's name, and that's like one of the... Harry gay- S. Truman. Yes. Yeah. He's playing him. That role was originally offered to Forrester... Forster turned it down. They gave it to the other guy. They do the the now sequel series. They go back to the actor that played him. He says, no, nah, I don't want to do it. Really? They go to Robert Forster. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. So now they have the guy in the role that was originally supposed to play the role. What a dream that would be to pass on Twin Peaks. It becomes this huge phenomenon. Forster did fine for himself. But I bet part if he was me, that's all I'd do for 30 years is kick myself. And then you get to play it. They come that's, to you later. Yeah, it's it's Fuck great. Dream. It's great. Forster, it's been discussed on this show so many, so many times, but I watched my my movie that like if I see it's on on the TV guide, I don't even go to it because if I watch 30 seconds of Jackie Brown, I'm in till the end. Yeah, I think it's my favorite Tarantino. I think it's edged above Pulp Fiction. Heather, my girlfriend, comes out of uh, the bedroom the other night and walks out. She's like sits down. She's there for an hour 30 past her bedtime. It's just like. It is so good, and everything about it is perfect. And the ending yeah. of it still makes me very, very sad. Yeah. Like, in a, in a way that you're not expecting watching that movie. It's a wonderful film. I, I, I think that I would have a hard time choosing between those, those first three. You know, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown, to me, are all so captivating in, in very different ways. Yeah. And they're wonderful, wonderful films. Uh, Jackie Brown is probably in my opinion, the most quotable or the most fun to quote out of I all agree. three of them. And it's it's maybe my favorite Sam Jackson performance. He's awesome in it. Because you know what I love about Sam Jackson in that movie? It's exactly like the dynamic between Pesci and Goodfellas to Casino. Yeah. It's, it's, but to De Niro. No, no, no. It's because like Sam Jackson from Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown to me is like Joe Pesci from Goodfellas to Casino. They're very oh, okay, similar characters. Yeah. But the second one is so much darker in yeah. such subtle ways that, like, it's it sticks with you harder. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, especially because at that time, De Niro was not the joke he's been for the last 20 years. 
Like you, you never would have imagined De Niro doing a, a dirty grandpa back then. You just couldn't have even dreamed it. Good lord. Analyze this or meet the parents when he dips. He cho- he chose very carefully with these comedies, and he was amazing in them. But at that time, he was still like the shit. He's coming off heat, and he plays this like stupid, like high-tempered guy. And Samuel L. Jackson is mopping up the floor with at that time the greatest actor alive. Right. And that's De Niro's choice. De Niro's like, I'm going to let you have this scene. I'm playing a different character. But Jackson, like, you you, you imagine if the two fought, De Niro wouldn't stand a fucking chance. That's how powerful Jackson yeah, comes Jackson, off in that movie. Jackson cuts glass through that whole movie. Uh, facial hair's great. He's fantastic at it. He's fantastic. That that scene where he brings De Niro out and he's like, and he opens the trunk and he's like, that's Beaumont. Yeah. Now, if you know Beaumont, you know Beaumont ain't going to do no 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That whole thing. Yes. And, but just when he shuts the trunk and he turns and he goes, now, Vincent, if you're going to come in with me on that, like he takes this tone of like a, a grade school teacher. It's, yeah. It's awesome. He's really the best with Tarantino's dialogue. And I will say I've always wondered about it. Spike Lee called him out for it. And perhaps rightfully so. In writing a sitcom, I find myself feeling very strange about writing African-American characters talking in anything but perfect English, like the other members of the cast. I, I And even though I know, like, oh, this would be funny, this would be something different, it feels uncomfortable to me. Right. Because I don't want to say... You know, it could be something as simple as ain't instead of, you right. know, not, whatever. But you feel weird about it, even though your other characters might talk that way, white characters might talk that way. It's a strange feeling. I felt the same in writing uh, a Jewish character or in writing a Hispanic character or whatever else. It's a, it's a weird presumption to make. How does Tarantino sit down and write dialogue with 8,000 N-words in it? How does he do it and then present it to Samuel L. Jackson and just know that Samuel Jackson's going to love it. I th- I that would be terrifying to me. It's a great question. It's I know I know Tarantino grew up in Carson, which yeah. maybe that's what the thing is, where it's just like you know he came from uh, certain neighborhoods where certain certain people talked in certain ways or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I was surprised because I found I I love all the Tarantino movies. Doesn't mean I don't feel uncomfortable at points watching them, sure. especially in a theater. Uh, I mean, that but, true romance scene, you're like, is the writer of this movie racist? What's going on here? Well, the the, the walk and hopper scene. Yes. Yeah, that's a good. That's a great example. Um, the uh, uh, in Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight was I haven't had too many crazy, uncomfortable times in a movie theater. Yeah. Hateful Eight was one of the most uncomfortable times. The other, the other time was uh, the movie Edmund with William H Macy sure, by David I Mamet. That. I mean, I, I was like looking over my shoulders during that movie. <laughs> it was making me so uncomfortable. Yeah. So, uh, but Hateful Eight, I would say, was was tense. I mean, it's a very racially tense movie. Yeah. And then in the end, it seems that characters learn a lesson about progression and 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 perspective and 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 race and equality and all these things. So that's that's nice. But getting to that point is can be tough, which is the point of the movie but yeah absolutely i did uh i did uh i was a li- not surprised but i was you know i remember seeing an interview with samuel jackson and he was like he was the one that said you have to make this movie when tarantino wasn't going to make it right samuel jackson was like you have to make this movie so i was like oh that's cool because like he clearly sees the importance of the message of the movie and yeah. like and all that stuff 
But it doesn't mean it doesn't didn't make me feel sure <laughs> a little uncomfortable. Well, especially having written it, I mean, it, it just boggles the mind. And then today I read, to, you know, we're, we're on episode two now, but uh, on episode one of the season, Get Out, uh, Samuel Jackson today was in the news because he was pretty pissed off that the lead of Get Out, uh, Daniel Aluya, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I I, I didn't look up a pronunciation. Um, was British and not and not African American. He's like, you don't think any African Americans here on, on home soil might know a little something about that? Interracial dating has been going on in the UK for a hundred years. Uh, why not let somebody here with some actual experience give it a shot? Oh wow! Why do they have a British guy play Martin Luther King in uh, Selma? Oh wow! You know, wouldn't an American have a better uh, stand? And I, you know, it's it's certainly not a point I would be making. But when I heard Samuel Jackson say it, I was like, what a fucking interesting argument. I was like, I am really fascinated by that. And I love it. And they asked Samuel Jackson why they always cast British actors, not just African-Americans. But, you know, a lot of your your stars, your favorite shows are from other countries. And he said, well, basically because they're cheaper. Oh, really? He's like, we get more money. They do it cheaper. He's like, but. But straight up, he's like, I, I get out. He's like, he didn't even say whether or not he liked it, but he was just kind of like, I think it's fucked up that that role was not played by an African-American. It was played by a, a British person. That's interesting because I know it's not the same thing, but that that is that is a, that does have a certain kinship to the whitewashing argument. And, and why are they always recasting these roles with races other than the the ethnicity that they were originated uh, as being portrayed by or whatever. Uh, so I, I, I feel like there's a certain kinship there where it's like, okay, well, we're we're of the same ethnicity technically, but social experience is very important. And yeah. you need to, you know. But then again, you know, poor people play rich people, rich people play poor people, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah. Um, I was just kind of fascinated by the argument. I think it's certainly less egregious than Emma Stone playing an Asian in Aloha. Or Tilda Swinton she, playing an Asian, or Scarlett Johansson playing an Asian, or whatever else. Uh, the, the, yeah. Although right. that Ghost in the Shell looks kind of cool, I gotta say. I never saw the anime one, but it looks pretty cool. Uh, has there been any complaints yet about Scarlett Johansson? Tons. Oh, there has? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, because I, I, I Googled it the other day, and I didn't see anything, and I thought, I, I'm surprised people aren't complaining about this. Yeah. That's a bad one. That's a real bad one. Yeah. I mean, they're taking a straight-up anime movie, and, I mean, that's... You know the 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 Emma Stone one too. The Tilda, you, I already have voiced that I didn't agree with the Tilda Swinton thing for, right. on numerous levels on the podcast when we did Doctor Strange. But the the Emma Stone one is 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 straight up confusing to me because I'm like, what? she's not Asian. I don't. I don't yeah, I, I just don't get. You got Emma Stone. I understand you wanted to be in your movie, and that's great. But then change the character. The character doesn't have to be Asian. It's odd. Yeah. Um, Pat, we're 42 minutes in. We haven't even talked about Logan yet. All right. Well, that's crazy. We That that, that are obviously counts as uh, the movie corner. We talked about about 40 movies there in a 20-minute span. <laughs> and uh, as long as you approve, I don't think we need to get into Joe's scary stuff. I think. No, no. We can keep moving. We All can, right. We, I, we covered a... We covered a an ethnicity corner there. We covered a lot. It was like a heritage Samuel corner. Jackson's race corner. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know... I, I have a great deal of respect for Lena Dunham and what she does, but if, if Lena Dunham is complaining about something being racist or or whatever it may be, my eyes are already half rolled before I read the article. Yeah. When Samuel Jackson makes a point, 
I listened. Like I was like, I I really for some reason was like fixated on this article and thought about it all day because I just love uh, I love being challenged and being forced or asked to think about things I wouldn't have thought about. I agree with that. I love it. I agree with that. I agree with everything you just said. And I'm sorry to shit on Lena Dunham. I I have no problem with it. <laughs> it's fine with me. Yeah. Uh folks, here we are. Uh Logan the movie uh about uh well, let's let's do an accurate count here. You had six six X-Men movies, two Wolverine movies. So this is uh number 9 in the X-Men series. Essentially, it's only been nine. Well, I'm not counting Deadpool. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because there were two solo Wolverine movies and then six X-Men movies okay. right? or three solo. solo. So this is a roughly part nine to uh, show you where I'm coming from. I thought X-Men one and X2 were OK. Uh, I liked actually liked an X2. They kind of took the. Uh, homosexuality theme a little further, like they were outcasts and all that. You know, there was right. a, a bit of a theme there. Brian Singer, no comment on Brian Singer. But um, everything that came after it was kind of boring, except the time travel one, Days of Future Past. I believe, which was, I was I cool. would say is the best X Men movie. That's that's one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. I love that film. That's fair. Um, I thought the Wolverine movies were terrible. The first one was an abomination. It, it played like a made for sci fi movie or yeah, something. Yeah. The second one was w- w- was an attempt at a samurai film. It was it was painfully boring. It was better. It was a much more passable film than the first one, but it still sucked. And were they both James Mangold? I know Mangold was the second one. I don't know if he's the first Maybe one. Maybe he's not the first. But I will tell you this. The, 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 the leaps and bounds that Mangold made in the second film were, I mean, they were just that above the first. The first film was a fucking atrocity on numerous yeah. levels. Uh, the most uh, you know, offensive of which I would say is when they did the thing with Deadpool where... They sewed his mouth shut, and then they made him a mute, like, mute. Oh, my God. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. This is terrible. So uh, he righted some of the wrongs in the second Wolverine movie. There was a good uh, little teaser scene at the end with Patrick Stewart, you know, secret scene, credit scene, whatever you want to call it, um, which tipped off that this next one was going to be potentially interesting for everybody. And, uh you know, in the canon of X-Men films, uh, I thought this was uh, an interesting step. You know, the, it's it's based on the old man Logan story, basically. We meet up with Wolverine. He's he's an older man now. He's clearly sick. He's limping. He's not healing as well. Uh, he's living in Mexico as a limo driver for hire yeah right? it seemed to me like he was driving people over the border he had those frat guys chanting usa at the roof okay and then uh oh i guess yeah they're pretty close to vegas i mean i i would say the border makes the most sense yeah and, yeah they were going over the border yes so that was his whole gig was i'll take you through yeah. into mexico uh th- there's gonna be a lot of spoilers in this apologies but uh, uh anyway well when- i think l- let's let's not spoil them until the end when we just say what 
if we want to discuss the end, we can. Okay. But we don't need to spoil a two and a half hour movie. Sure. There's, Sh- there's much to talk about before, like the two things that would spoil the movie. So the basics are we pick up with Logan. He's further along in his life. All the, you, you find out all the mutants have been exterminated or are now extinct. Uh, and he's living with Professor X in, uh, in, in hiding, essentially. They're hiding their identities as mutants. And then and also new- living with a albino butler played by Stephen Merchant. Yes. Which was a interesting character that I felt was not handled in maybe the best way. <laughs> that was my only real grievance. And uh, I love Stephen Merchant, but it was a strange addition to the mix. Caliban, and I know he's in the comics. I don't know much about the Caliban character. Oh, he is a comic character. He is in the comics. Because I turned to Joe. I was like, is he his roommate? Is he his lover? Is he his nurse? What's going on here? That part I couldn't answer. Uh, I just knew that Caliban was in the comics. And um, anyway, they're all living in Mexico and uh, not on like a vacation sex in the city kind of way they're all they're all down there hiding because if people find out these are the last of the mutants they'll be killed yes and uh and then there is a discovery of a new mutant that in so many ways is the daughter of uh wolverine yeah and that's that's no big twist but um her her opening scene i thought was fucking awesome yes uh she's got kind of like junior claws and the girl that played her um, is mute for the the bulk of the movie. It says absolutely nothing, and I just thought she had such a extremely expressive, interesting face. I liked her a lot. She was not your standard kind of movie kid. I loved her relationship with Wolverine, and even though nothing that happened in the movie was particularly surprising, I guess for me the the tone of it was just like really, really cool, and I thought it was shot incredibly well. And I love James Mangold, who is, I think, obsessed with Westerns. We differed on this earlier. But he has said his writers and him as a director was, was you know, out to make a modern Western. They watched Shane on television. Um, Mangold made 310 to Yuma, which I think is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, also Copland, which is maybe in my top 10, top 20 movies of all time. And it's a modern Western for sure. Yes. Uh, it's basically High Noon with Stallone as uh, Gary, Co- Gary Coop, as Gandolfini used to say. <laughs> But um, for me, I just thought it was a very sort of thematically, if I can bring my old film school roots back, interesting movie. And I found myself really thinking about it a lot today. And my biggest grievance about these movies, Marvel movies for the most part, is that I am wishing I was dead while they're on. And then I leave and never think about them again. And I'm angry at myself for being fooled into seeing another one. This, I thought, had a lot to say, a lot going on. There's an amazing article I recommend reading on a site called Birth Movies Death, reviewing Logan. It's one of my favorite movie reviews I've ever read. I wish I had the guy's name. I can look it up that wrote it. But it really gave me a deeper appreciation of the movie. But for me, for a two and a half hour superhero movie to not be bored, I got to give a kudos. I loved it. Uh, I have a different opinion. Yes. Walsh. I want to hear it because we, we didn't get into last night why you didn't like it. You just clearly didn't like it. Yeah, and then I said, let's just save it for the show. Yeah. So uh, so they find, this is where, look, I'm going to try my best not to spoil things, but uh, if, you, if you don't want to know how the plot unfolds, you might not want to listen to this. Uh, but here's the thing. They find this new mutant, 
I agree with everything Pat said about her performance. She was really good in it. I mean, the kid can't be more than six or something or eight or something, right? I have a hard time with kids' ages, but I think she was 10. 10, 12. Look, 14, 16 tops. Yeah. Uh, but she was great. She was. She really played the role with it with a with a strange depth. Where I was like, this kid, this kid's seen some shit out there in the world or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and the whole plot of the movie is is they got to get this girl to the safe haven, uh, to the the sort of Valhalla for the for the new generation of mutants, uh, where where they they can sort of be reborn again or whatever. Uh. So uh, I I didn't I know the attempt was to be a western uh, to me it felt way more like a National Lampoon's Vacation or something like right. it was a road trip they're they're cooped up in the car the whole time they're meeting different people along the way yeah there's it, it was a road trip I think if you replace like a stagecoach with the truck that he buys you know and then he they actually knock that horse carriage over and the horses break free and he helps rustle them up and then goes and stays with a family on their farm, and then there's rustlers on the farm. And I think that family being black um, and the girl being Mexican uh, or having a, you know, a, a Mexican uh, mother caretaker who was scared about going over the border and all this stuff, I think all that stuff was in there pretty intentionally. And a lot of that comes from this article, which I found. Cause I don't want to take credit for some of these theories because they all kind of come from this. But right. the guy's name is – oh, geez, I'm sorry. Sedant Adlaka, and the article is called Logan, The Things We Leave Behind on Birth Movies Death. It's a fantastic article. But I thought it had about 10 killer action sequences. Car Chase was like almost Mad Maxian with the, uh, the, the train when they're going alongside it. Yeah, that part was cool. I had been prepped for extreme violence, and really, to me, it was just kind of a lot of claws going through heads, which we'd never seen before, but it wasn't crazy. There were some beheadings and shit. Can we, can we stop? Can we pause on the extreme violence for a minute? Please. Because that was one of my gripes of the movie. It was, it was so... Look, I'm not offended by violence, obviously, and I'm not offended by language, obviously, but it was, it was, it was so... They, they said, fuck so much it was almost like they were showing off it was almost like they were being like we made an r-rated movie i mean professor x was saying fuck frequently <laughs> well and you're like see, i thought the deadpool was showing off the uh, the r rating and this was just like a, a fucking gritty adult drama in a, in a cool way to me that i was not expecting uh it's in character for deadpool to make jerk off jokes and come jokes right. or whatever it's not in character to me for Professor X to be saying fuck frequently. That yeah. was odd. And I also thought there were lines with Wolverine where I was like, he like what every time he got mad, he would just go fuck, fuck often to the little girl. Yeah. And I'm like throwing a shit once in a while just to break it. It's just better writing. It's, you know, yeah. like so. So that was one thing. But the second thing is the violence right off the bat. In the opening scene, he, he, he gets into it with, like, five dudes. And immediately, it's, like, claws through fucking eye sockets and stuff. So they blow the, they blow the violence load so quickly. There's so many dismemberments and decapitations by 25 minutes into the movie. I, mean, I was just like, 
okay, well, that part's, that part's done now. And then for the tone of the film to be so somber, it was so goddamn depressing, and everybody was so hopeless, and everything was going to be the worst and all this stuff. It just felt like it felt like a not fun John Wick to me. I was like, John, it didn't have the fun that John Wick had to me with the violence and the the craziness and the action and the. It, it, John Wick t- to me is dark, but it's it's not hopeless. If if that yeah. makes sense, you know. Well, I thought. I mean, I thought it fit the times. I related to it very much. I thought. Kind of the coolest thing about it, and this is probably discussed in that article, but also just something I. I walked away from it with, which I thought was a very cool theme of this guy is, you know, everyone points out to him how much he's drinking and et cetera. Um, he's just kind of fuck everyone. He doesn't want to make new friends. He doesn't want a family. He doesn't want to fall in love, etc. And what's chasing him throughout the end of the movie is this just pure animal clone of Wolverine. Basically he's right. like alter ego. Right. And, I think that's really saying, well, you, you can take that too far. If you go too far with not attaching yourself, not making human connections, etc., this is the monster you could become. I thought that was a very right. interesting theme. I I liked the, however, brief redemption that Wolverine has by the end of the movie. Um, and Heather, my girlfriend, and several other people have talked to me about crying at the end of it, and I was nowhere near that point, but I sort of got it. I thought it was strangely moving especially considering i have never given a fuck about wolverine or any superhero but i really gave a shit and i really cared about the story i gotta say in a big way i'm gonna set off a couple major spoilers here uh all right before you do because we should put that near the end of the podcast so let people listen and then at the end say we're gonna discuss the ending for a minute right i think let me ask you joe not to, you know, put you on the spot, but if you hate the jokey, um, quip-a-minute tone of Marvel movies, but now you also do not like the somber, jokeless tone of Wolverine, what do you want? What you're do you not, want? You're not going to like the answer, Pat. Don't, please don't say it. <laughs> please don't say it. You're not going to like the answer. I like a somber tone, but I like there to be a little hopeful whatever at the end of it which i felt batman versus superman had i felt like we saw a redemption of batman and a door opened for him to do a new thing in the next movie to be a better man in the next movie i enjoyed that what i didn't like about be seeing those movies uh, what i didn't like about this and we are almost at 60 minutes so i feel like we're we're close enough to the right that i can say i don't like that he died at the end wolverine yeah i think that uh I, I, I thought it was poetic in a certain way, but what and I... That last shot of the, the cross being That was very cool. The, I mean, the, the cross being set down as the X was very cool. I thought it would have been... Look, I don't know, maybe I'm soft, but I just thought it would have been nicer to see him become the new Professor X and mm-hmm. lead these kids. Um, especially when we're being left with a group of 100 percent generic mutant kids right like there was nothing memorable about any one of those kids except for the girl who was a girl wolverine right which which she was i i think whatever power that girl had she would have been pretty riveting in the in the role yes but it's like 
you you take her and they define her so well and then the behind her are 12 other kids that literally f- except for one look completely physically normal right and then like one of them like at one point shoots a little lightning and one of them does this other thing right. where he lifts a thing in the air and then one girl has cold breath and what it and i'm like all right well and i'm not saying they were setting up a new marvel universe but i'm saying if you want to leave a Marvel, a comic book movie saying, I'm excited that that world still exists. And right now that world has been left to 12 of the most boring versions <laughs> of the Lost Boys I've ever right. seen. And there's and Wolverine's dead. And it's just like not a great it's not a great like feeling at the end of the whole thing. The kids, the kids were really nothing to me. You know, they were kind of cute or whatever. But that, yeah, the powers were nothing. And I wonder if it wasn't just like I don't know, but. Scott Frank co-wrote it, who wrote like Out of Sight and The Lookout. He's a he's a fantastic writer, one of my favorite screenwriters, with Mangold and some other dude who I should look up, but I'm not going to. Um, I just, I think what they probably thought to themselves is, do we really make these twelve kids like cast amazing actors, give them all crazy new awesome mutant powers? But if they do that, then you're watching it, and it's not the the end to Wolverine, a character that many people have held dear for twenty years. Then it becomes like, ooh, what's this new? What's the next X Men going to be? Are these the? U-? I think they were left intentionally vague to keep the focus on Wolverine. If I had to guess, but I don't know. I don't. I think they didn't want people going. I want to see more of those kids. I'm going to bring up another movie that's going to make people angry. All right. Probably you too. And I'm not saying it's a better movie than this movie. All right. Uh, but a, I think this is a good example. When I watched the last Indiana Jones movie, there was no part Crystal of me. Skull? Yes. There okay. was no part of me that thought at the end it was going to lead to a Mutt Williams son of Indiana Jones story. Right. A, 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 a perfect ending to me was the kid Shia LaBeouf picking up the hat and you as an audience member going, oh, fuck you. And then Harrison Ford takes it back. Uh-huh. And you know... He's probably retired, but he's he's still out there. You know, it's like the end of the last season of Sherlock. It ends on like say it. Please don't tell me. Okay, I'm watch it. okay, then I won't tell you. But it's it speaks to what we're talking about. So it's right. like it's 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 uh it's you know I I felt like I felt like they that this movie was a very very good effort. But I also felt like there was a lot of we have fucked up so royally with the first two. Now we've got to make it all count in this last one right. at the expense even of the character himself where it's like, OK, don't make any more Wolverine movies. That's fine. But yeah. it doesn't mean he has to die at the end and he has to like be completely fucking selfish and hard headed until literally his last like dying breath almost. It's just like I'm just like this is just like depressing to me after a while. Like it's like. I don't yeah. know who I'm supposed to feel good about. I don't know who. Well, to me, that's what differentiated it from all this, these other shitty movies. And I, you know, it's the kind of thing I look for in like a a drama. I like a Blue Valentine or a Manchester by the Sea or these miserable movies, The Wrestler, whatever it may be. And The Wrestler, I actually read, was one of the uh, main influences of uh, Logan. He said it was like Logan and these different Westerns. And that made sense to me. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can I say this? Please. Uh, uh, the, the ending of the wrestler, I love. I like the wrestler. Yeah. I w- I would I would have loved to have seen Logan 
running off into the okay they made such a big deal about the drug right right the green drug don't take it all at once be careful you better not take it all at once he takes it all at once at the end big surprise right that's not what kills him that's not what ends him he gets killed because he's fighting and he gets fucking thrown into a branch and it stabs him through the chest or whatever Give me the ending where they're like, you're going to die from that serum. And he runs and he's running off into the woods. And you're like, is he going to die or is he fucking Wolverine? Give right. me something where I'm like, maybe he's still out. Just a tiny bit of fucking hope. I get it. I think people just get tired of being jerked around so that in, in five years time. Oh, guess what? We found Hugh Jackman living in Antarctica. Now we're going to make another shitty Wolverine. I think it was like, I want to just end this fucking character. They're going to do Son of Wolverine in five years anyway. But for me, a character I did not care about suddenly cared about it a lot, and it became probably my two... It's only March, but my two favorite movies of the year are probably the two we've talked about. Get Out and Logan. Like I it, Going into Logan, I never would have dreamed I would love the movie as much as I did, but I thought it was a very kind of special movie. I liked it a lot. I will say this, because you brought up closure at the end with his death. Yes. There was another thing that bothered me about the movie uh, was, again, we're in major spoiler territory right now. I didn't give a shit when Professor X died because they killed him in X-Men 3. I uh, forgot that, but yeah. They killed him in X-Men 3, and then they just pretended like that never happened in Days of Future Past. Right. And then now here we have another movie where I'm like, but what about Days of Future Past? When Professor X comes in in the floating wheelchair, yeah, that is clearly not this future that we're in. Right, they just kind of disregard that stuff. Right. Okay, fine. Comic books do that too. There's this storyline. There's that storyline. Whatever. But my point is, is when Professor X died, I didn't care. I wasn't choked up. After nine fucking movies, I should give a lot more of a shit about that character. And also. But see, they I've, I've both, never liked him as much as I did in this movie. They have both already said, Patrick Stewart and and Hugh Jackman have already said that they're open to reprising the role again. Uh, we'll see then in a Deadpool movie, which would take place before this. But it's still like it's not over. It's yeah. not over. Yeah, I I mean, look, and this at this moment in time, I thought that this was a extremely well done movie. I thought that Hugh Jackman, who's an actor, I can give or take. I love him in Prisoners. I thought he was really good in this, and I thought Patrick Stewart was really good in this. And yes. I just, I, I I love the movie. They were both good in it. Uh, I just I just had my gripes. Pat, Fair enough. Maybe it was, you know, look, I was sitting in a puddle of oil butter. <laughs> uh, yeah. God knows Making how many horse calories. Making horse noises. Getting shushed. God knows how many calories was in that bag alone. I don't even sure. want to think about it, but... Uh, but in any case, uh, that's Logan, folks, uh, and that's the podcast. I think this might be the longest episode we've ever done. We were at an hour and well, no, that's not true. Those commentary ones that were endless. Yeah. But we're now at an hour and six, seven minutes here, so that's pretty good. Uh, let's wrap it up. I mean, uh, for me, I got nothing particularly to plug. Uh, you know, I was a, a writer producer on Crashing, which is airing on HBO now. Judd Apatow, Pete Holmes. Check that out. Hope you like it. And that's that's about all I got. It's not like I'm, I'm touring or something. Well, I don't have much either. All I don't right. want you to feel bad about this. I don't. Uh, 
This comes out Monday, March, whatever it is. Uh, I'll, I'll be, I, I know this much, I'll be in Australia for the Melbourne Comedy Festival in April. So if you live down under, uh, come out to a show. Be part of the Headliner Showcase, which features uh, myself and I guess I think four other American comedians. Uh, and uh, the album is out, You Let Me Down. The special is out, You Let Me Down. It's on iTunes. And if any of our fans can go and give me five-star reviews to offset these goddamn trolls. You did that for the podcast. We're so grateful. If you could do that for some of my albums, God, we'd be grateful. That'd be so nice of you. Absolutely. And uh, also, now that we are on HeadGum and a new network, our reviews did carry over, it appears. But it would look great. To, to get us off on a good foot over there, I think people are going to see us on the main HeadGum page and go, what's this? So if you get a chance to give us the stars, give it the ratings, we'd love it. We'd appreciate it. You guys always do. There's a We'll See You in Hell Facebook page. I love checking in on that. You guys discuss the episodes. Please feel free to do it more. I'm going to start commenting more when I get a little free time. Uh, I am at the Patrick Walsh. Joe is at Joe DeRosa Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. And... Uh, we love you guys. Thank you very much. Keep your comments, questions, stars, tweets, likes are coming, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs> <laughs>